This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Find uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles. Uh, This is for our guests our second week in this series uh, that we began last Sunday on, uh, on the test of genuine love. How does God test how much we love him. And Paul reveals that to us uh, in this passage. We're going to be in this series for a number of weeks, so I hope that you're sticking around with us. Now, you're looking up on the stage, and you're saying, man, they got ladders all over the place. Uh, would the you know, construction crew come in and forget to pick up after themselves? And of course, the answer is no. Uh, the ladders are here to illustrate something that, that you'll uh, figure out here in just, just a few moments. But we've got ladders of various sizes and colors and materials for different purposes. We've got little step ladders. You can go up a couple of steps. We've got extension ladders. We've got, you know, everything in the world. And ladders are great tools. I mean, I have, in fact, several of these ladders are mine, and you probably have ladders at home too, and they're great tools for allowing us to reach things that we normally could not reach from having our feet on the ground. And of course, they're probably far more, far safer. I, I, I have a I have an air conditioning uh, filter that I have to change every so often. It's up high on a cathedral ceiling above a kitchen counter. And there's a wall there, obviously, over the counter. And uh, so I climb. Typically what I do is I climb up on a stool there that's at the counter. And then I step up on the counter and reach up and change the filter. And hoping that I don't fall, because I'm, I'm standing on, I don't have anything behind me. And, to stand, and it's not the smartest thing to do, especially for somebody who knows what it's like to fall off of a ladder, you know, and be taken in the ambulance to the hospital been there, done that. But ladders are great tools to have around the house and and have uh, some of you work with ladders. And I know some of these ladders belong to Chris Jolly, our drummer. Chris is a painter. And he said, I got plenty of ladders. And and, uh, so he brought a couple of his ladders. They're great tools to allow us to reach where we cannot reach due to our limited height. Now, we're talking about God's grace in this series. And let me say that the ladders are here because God's grace is like a ladder enabling us to move up step by step and get closer to the highest goal that God has for all of us and that we should all be striving for, and that is to be like him, to be Christ-like. Grace is the ladder that has the steps for us to move in. So this morning, the first point in your outline, if you're taking notes, is this. Grace is something in which we grow. We grow in grace. Look with, with me, the, the scripture is there, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Read that with me. Let's read it together aloud. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word tells us to grow in grace. In other words, you don't stay where you are. You move up higher and higher and higher in God's grace. That's God's will for you and me. God's grace never lowers us. God's grace always raises us to the next level. But sometimes, some of you are petrified by ladders. You, know, you just don't like climbing a ladder. You, you're, you're frightened by it. Sometimes, like climbing the, the rungs of a ladder, ladder, grace can be scary. It can be frightening. 
Uh, most of us would probably have no, no trouble. You know, some of us have something like that maybe close to your kitchen so you can reach up in the top places and the highest places of your kitchen cabinets, a little stepladder, something like that, and you have no problem. It's even got, this one's got the, the little cheat thing in front so you can stand up here and you can grab hold of this, you know, while you're, while you're there and while you're trembling and shaking. Most of us have no problem climbing up a step or two on a ladder. That's not frightening to us. But many of us would never attempt to climb an extension ladder that's 12 or 16 feet high. Uh, how, about, how about the stick on a fire department ladder truck? You know, uh, most of them would say, no way, Jose. And I want you to know I've been up on that and uh, I, one time. And, um, and I got up on the end of it, you know, and, and had the, little, the nozzle on the end and then practiced some spraying hose. And, and then I said, okay, I'm done. I came down. And uh, not ever again, I, I hope and pray. Uh, how, about the, how about the ladder on the side of a tower that goes up on a tower? You know, would you ever climb up something like that? Most of us would say, oh, I'd rather die first. Because, you know, if you did, you probably would die trying. So, you know, no, I don't want to do that. But we grow in God's grace, and God's grace, if you will, is like a ladder. And in God's grace, as we grow, he takes us up to higher levels. Here, get this now, Christian, farther away from the safety of staying on the ground. You've heard me say many times, when you got saved, Christian, God did not call you and save you to live a life of comfort. If you're looking for comfortable, Christianity is not it. And if you say, well, I'm a Christian and my life is really comfortable, God's not ever called me to do anything risky, you're really missing the boat. You haven't gotten into it at all. And, uh, and so I'm not saying you're not a Christian, but you need to step up on the ladder a little bit and find out there are risks to take. It takes faith. It takes trust. But God would not give us the goal that grace takes us to, being Christ-like if it was unreachable. If you think that grace, uh, excuse me, if you think that giving, which is kind of the theme of this passage here of Paul's in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you think that giving is about keeping a rule that makes you comfortable, you know, it's about uh, just, I got this rule of giving and 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 I'm bound to it and I'll do that. Let me say to you, you're going to discover from this series, if you're here, if you listen to last week and you listen to the coming weeks, that that you're cheating yourself. Because grace is not something that binds us to a rule. Grace is something that sets us free, and it sets us free to be generous and sets us free to enjoy giving. Now, today we're going to go, uh, go to verses 2 and go down through verse 7 uh, or 8 of, of 2 Corinthians 8. And I'm going to pull 11 things out of it, 11 ways that getting in on God's grace moves us to the next level of our walk with Christ. That's a lot of things, 11 things. Do do you expect me to remember all those? No, but that's why we gave you notes so you can write some things down and be reminded of them. But if you only pick up on one or two and those stay with you, those could be life-changing. All right, so what does the Bible tell us about grace in this passage? Verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. And then look at this part of verse 2, the first opening words. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. Their deep poverty. Paul's talking about the Macedonians, and he's talking about them to the Corinthian church. And we talked about this last week, gave the background of this story. And he uses a lot of adjectives here in this second verse to describe the Macedonians. He says, severe was their testing. So severe was their testing, he said that it included affliction. And their affliction, he says, was their deep poverty 
poverty. What does that mean? Severe, the word severe, the Greek word that Paul would have used is a word that means large. Large was their testing. It was no small thing, this poverty that the Macedonians were experiencing. It wasn't the kind, you know, and and a lot of us say, you know, yeah, I'm poor, I'm broke, I'm broke until I get my next paycheck. You ever, you know, been living like that? I've got nothing, man, I'm, I'm out, and when my paycheck comes, then I'll have some funds. So I'm, I'm, I'm in poverty right now until I get my next paycheck. It wasn't that. That was not what's describing the Macedonians. The Macedonians' poverty was this. I don't know when I'll ever get another paycheck. That was the kind of poverty they were experiencing. I have no idea when my next paycheck will come. And Paul says, in, he used the word affliction here. Their affliction means to be, the word affliction, the Greek word means to be squeezed like a vice. Some of you guys in your workshop, maybe in your garage you have a a workbench and you may have a a vice that's bolted down to that table. And and it serves for you as a a third hand if you need it to hold something that you can work on. It's a great tool. And I discovered what a great tool it was when I was a little boy visiting my grandpa's house. and, And down in his basement, he had a workbench and he had a vice you know, bolted down, and I'd never seen one of those things, and I got, went down there by myself one day and started playing with it, and you just turn that little thing on the side, and it comes in, and it goes out, and I figured out what it would do and what it was for, and I said, I wonder, I wonder how tight it will get, and so I put my hand in there. <clears throat> now, you all are thinking, what a dummy. Well, I was probably about eight or nine years old, and eight or nine-year-old boys, they're curious, and I began to tighten that thing, and, tighten, and you know, it's got kind of like teeth on it, the grip. And it tightened and it got down on my hand. Now, I'm not so stupid that I kept on tightening until the blood spurted out of my fingertips, all right? Uh, but, but I tightened it up till I realized, ooh, this, and you know, I could tighten this thing so I couldn't pull my hand out. And I could, I could, I could, I could tighten it till, till it really hurt. I could smash my, my hand flat as a pancake and break all my bones in my hand if I wanted to. The word for affliction that Paul uses here is a word that simulates that vice. You guys are living, he says, under severe affliction. It means to be pressured. And if severe didn't adequately describe their poverty, he adds the descriptive word deep to their poverty. You are in deep. They were in deep poverty, meaning extreme, these Macedonians. And nobody, not Paul or anyone else, expected the Macedonians who are in deep poverty to be generous financially. No one would have faulted them for not participating in the offering that's being received among the churches to send back to the Jerusalem church who were destitute, who were starving to death. No one would have said, hey, you guys, you know, you can't afford it. Don't even, that, you know, it's, it's the thought that counts. It's kind of Paul's attitude toward the Macedonians, but we're going to find out they wouldn't accept that. Now, we all know people who live according to their belief that having money solves all problems. You know anybody like that? They just think, all I need is a little bit more money. Have you ever said or thought that? If I just had a little bit more, if I just had this much money in the bank, if this would just happen, all my problems would be solved. You probably saw the news this past week. I saw the headline. Winning ticket for $590.5 million Powerball jackpot sold in Florida market. And you're wishing you lived in Florida. What about me, you know? What would I do with 500, 600 million dollars? You know, and I've, I've asked, you know, I read that and I said, you know, and I, I read these stories about these jackpot winners, lottery winners. I think they win all these hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm thinking, just give me one million. 
I can deal with that. You know, just one million and all my problems would be solved. Everything would be paid off and I would have no more problems in life. If I just had a fraction of that, all my worries would be gone. But you know, if you put your trust in your wallet and what's in it, in your checking account, the truth is you're trusting in an idol that won't and can't provide what you truly need. Ask the lottery winners, and you can go online and read the Google stories of lottery winners, and you'll find there are a lot of instant millionaires who today are homeless, have nothing, because they squandered it all. They gave it all away. They were ripped off. They, they did stupid stuff with their money because they weren't ready for what they were given, and now they have nothing. They had plenty of cash, but they had no joy. And the Macedonians understood because Paul says they, they have lots of joy here. They have plenty of joy. They understood that joy doesn't come from cash. They knew that because they had no cash, they still had plenty of joy because grace lets you take that next step. Grace then enables anyone to be generous, verse 2. Last part of verse 2 says, And it overflowed their joy, their deep poverty, overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Now, again, knowing their financial struggle, the Apostle Paul, as he he relates the story to the Corinthians, you can read, you can see coming from the page his amazement. He's blown away by what they did. It was totally unexpected, and nobody saw this coming. And Paul calls their generosity their wealth. He could not say they were wealthy financially because they weren't. They had nothing. But he says, you guys were wealthy in another way, and you're wealthy in your generosity. He didn't say they gave as much as wealthy people might have had in the amount that they gave. Of course not. But, they, but they, what they had showed, and what they gave showed they had a greater wealth than their bank account. Somehow, they were poor in what they had monetarily, yet they were very, Paul said, rich in how they gave. Jesus came across such wealth in his ministry and pointed it out to his disciples in their culture. There was the thinking that if you are wealthy, that you've got a lot of things, riches and possessions and properties. In first century Judaism, the thought was, if that's you, then that's a sign that God must be blessing your life Yeah, we all know of people, I do, and you know as well, people that are wealthy financially but are anything but godly. Remember what Jesus said last week when he compared the riches, people who are rich, he compared their chances of of heaven to a camel getting through a needle's eye. And so one day outside the temple, Jesus is with his disciples. You can turn to John, excuse me, to Luke chapter 21. He's outside the temple with his disciples And they're observing what's happening outside the temple gates. And there is a place, probably a box, that's situated there where people would come. And that's where they would give their tithes and their offerings, their cash. They would drop it in this box. And it was was visible for people to be able to see it wasn't hidden. And so there were some people that took advantage of that. They knew that people would be watching. And so they paraded in front and wanted everybody to know how much they gave. And they would do so. And Jesus as they're watching this take place, Jesus showed this lesson of wealth and generosity to his disciples. Luke chapter 21, look with me at verse 1. And he looked up and he saw 
the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. There, you, could, you could tell they were rich by how they were dressed and how much they put in and so forth. He saw this happening. And then he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. For us, that would be a couple pennies. And here's what he said to his disciples. He turned to them and said, hey, guys, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put in more than all of them, than all the rich people that have just gone through. He said, she put in more. Of course, they're thinking, wow, Jesus, you don't add like I had. <laughs> you know, they were dropping in big, big bills and lots of money, and when they dropped it in, it all was kerplunk, and it was lots of stuff, and she put in the two tiniest coins that we have in our currency. And you're saying she put in more than him? Explain that to us. And Jesus goes on, and he explains it. He said, for all these people, these rich folks that have come by, have put in their gifts out of their surplus. They put in money that was extra, that they don't need to live on, that's there sitting in the bank, just drawing interest, and it's not going to hurt them to give it. There's no pain. You ever heard people say, give until it hurts? These people, they're never going to hurt by giving that. But she gave out of her poverty, was put in, listen, all she had to live on. She gave the last two cents that she had. It wasn't about who was wealthier. If that's the key to God's blessing, the rich people are the blessed, the poor are not. If that's the key to God's blessing, then this widow goes unnoticed. Her story won't be in the Bible, but it's there for us to realize. It was about who was generous, not who gave the most, but who was generous. And in that, Jesus said she was far wealthier in her generosity and gave more. Now, most people who are like the Macedonians, and maybe that's some of us here in this room, and we don't know where our next paycheck's going to come from. Maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you're going through a real financial struggle. But most people who financially are struggling just to keep their heads above water do the opposite of what the Macedonians did. That's our natural tendency. We don't give it away. We take whatever little bit we have, and we hide it away, and we think what little Maybe that I can save for the future. Maybe that makes me a good steward before God. And so often we excuse when we're poor and we're in a a financial famine. We excuse our non-giving by this rationale. Well, if God wants me to give more, God would give me more money to give. That's how it works, right? God, you want me to give more? Come on, pour it on. You know, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. You ever hear people say that? Hey, let me clue you in on something. For most of us in this room, our ship sank out in the ocean a long time ago. It's not coming. All right, stop waiting for that. That's not what happened here with the Macedonians. Instead of socking away and hoarding what little bit they have, God didn't give them more money. God gave them more what? Grace. He gave them more grace. And that grace, as we're going to see, will enable them to do an amazing thing. What does grace enable me to do? The next point, grace moves me to act. When I'm stepping up on the step of the ladder of grace, I'm going to do something. Paul says in verse 3, I testify that on their own. That tells me that grace is inspiring. They didn't wait for someone to beg with them. They didn't wait for the preacher to get up and deliver this impassioned sermon and wipe tears away from his eyes and say, look, if you, if you all don't 
don't give, we're just going to be collapsing here. And, and uh, you, you heard the, <clears throat> the, the story of the preacher that, that uh, you know, got, got up and he preached the sermon. And he said, he said, you know, got up and preached. He said, the Lord wants us to, Lord, Lord wants us to crawl toward great things. And, and the people said, you know, the guys in the amen corner, let them crawl, preacher, let them crawl. They're getting behind the preacher. And the Lord wants us to crawl. Lord wants us to stand up and walk. Let them walk, preacher. Let them walk. And the Lord just doesn't want you to walk. The Lord wants you to run the race. Let them run, preacher. Let them run. And if you're going to run the race, you're going to have to give. Let them crawl, preacher. Let them crawl. God used these Macedonians. They didn't wait for the preacher to beg. They didn't wait for the pledge cards to come. There were no campaigns. They didn't wait to see what the Macedonians down south were going to do, the rich people, and then we'll wait to see how much they give, and then we'll see if we can add to it, top off the tank. They said, no, we're going to get in on this, and we're going to get in on it now. They jumped in on their own and came up with the idea to be involved in this offering. There's something special about these Macedonians, this church up in Macedonia. There's something special about grassroots involvement and what we call organic ministries when God's Spirit just moves on people to do His will, and they respond. And the Holy Spirit used the need of the Jerusalem church that was starving, literally, to motivate these poor Macedonians who hardly had and two nickels to rub together. They didn't have much at all. God used that need to motivate them to give. Please hear me. Jot this down in your notes somewhere because this is such an important point that's not in there. But God's grace does not produce spectators, church. Can I say that again? Can I hear an amen, Pastor Tom? God's grace does not produce spectators. Well, that was pretty weak. All right, Tom's our pastor of ministries, and he's always looking for volunteers. You cannot be involved in the grace of God. God's grace cannot be working in your life, and you stand on the sidelines and watch why other people serve while other people give. God's called all of us not to be. He's called none of us to be consumers in the church. He's called us all to be contributors. Now, if that ruffles your feathers a little bit, if that bothers you because you like being a spectator, let me encourage you to do something with the kind, all the kindness I can muster in my heart. Go spectate somewhere else. But this is going to be a church. If God's going to use us and his grace is going to empower us, where we're going to jump in with both feet and get involved. Just like his grace gives you a spiritual gift for ministry, to put you into a place of service. His grace will not allow me, will not allow you to watch as others get the blessing. It moves me to act. And then verse three, it shows me where I am. He says, I testify on their own and that according to their ability. How did they give? They gave according to their ability. They didn't have much ability. They were poor. So according to their ability. They gave. What is that telling us? God's grace starts us where we are. If we want, if God wants us to practice this grace of giving, God doesn't want us to wait until we can do more. Well, when I can do more, when I've got all my ducks in a row, when I got all my bills paid, when I got a blah da 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 da, da then I'll get in on this grace of giving. You're missing the grace part. God doesn't want us to wait till we can do more. God wants us to give. Now, based upon what we are able to do now. Now, if you make, let's just say, if you make 40 grand a year, God's not going to ask you to give 40 grand a year. 
You know, God knows you've got to live unless God's got some miracle plan for you, unless your ship is coming in. But he will require you to look at, and, at what you have, and he will require you to ask questions, questions like this. Well, am I wise with my spending? Am I wise with my spending? Am I spending on things and not wasting money? Some of you ladies, I, I admire you ladies who coupon. You know, you get all the coupons and you hit the grocery store and, and it's like you get, not only do you get groceries for free, but they're giving you money back. You know, you cash, not, maybe not literally, but you're just wise in how you handle, am I wise with my spending? Well, another way to ask that question is, do I have to have the best and the latest? I know some people who always, I mean, their entire adult life, from the time they buy their first car until they die, they always have a car payment. They never go through life without a car payment. Two, three, four, five hundred dollars. They're always paying for a car. They never experience the joy of paying that car off and, uh, and getting that title in the mail from the bank that says, this is now, this piece of junk that's got 300,000 miles is now mine. You know? They, they always have a car payment because they're always, you know, paying off a debt pay, because they keep trading in. Some people, every other year, you know, they got to have a new car. Well, I just like that new car smell. How stupid is that? Buy that little thing that hangs from your mirror that says new car smell. <laughs> Are there ways that I could cut back on things I don't really need? Ooh. What are you doing? What are you spending your money on that could be going to God's work to eternal things that you really don't need? But I just like it so much. Okay, well, you're telling God what you really love in life. You know, you go down to the grocery store and buy a pound of coffee for how much? What, eight, eight bucks, something like that? Or you can go to a local coffee shop and buy a cup for two or three dollars. And you do that five days a week. Yeah, but I just don't have time to make my own coffee. And it just isn't as good. Well, aren't you special? You know? Um, and by the way, I like the coffee shop coffee too. But if I'm struggling to make ends meet, if I'm struggling to find the funds to give and this grace of stepping up on the ladder, and I'm out spending money on all kinds of entertainment on all kinds of extras that I really don't need, and then I come to God and say, gee, I'm sorry, I got nothing left over. We're not giving according to our ability. You can't, you know, some of us are going to have to make some lifestyle changes, I think, for that to happen. God's grace starts where you are, but you cannot take the next step until you've taken this first one. And by the way, there is nothing supernatural with giving according to your ability. That takes no grace. Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. But the fact is that many Christians don't do that, either because they overspend on things that will not, cannot impact eternity, or they don't realize how much of a blessing it is to give. Once we start giving according to our ability, not according to what's left, once we start giving according to our ability, grace then kicks in to elevate us to the next level. What's that next level? Verse 3, the next part of the verse, he said, not only did they give according to their ability, they gave beyond their ability. Here's where the grace happens. If God's grace enables me 
to simply do according to my ability, why do I need God's grace? I can do that on my own. If God's grace enables me to do what otherwise seemed impossible, which is what grace will do, what kind of limits do I set on myself? And if I set limits, what do I believe about God and his grace? And I wonder if we as a church, if we as Christians are guilty of looking at other people and what other people may do, and then in our most convincing voices say to God, but God, I could never do that. Putting limits on what God's grace may or may not allow us to do. These impoverished Macedonians could have easily said, hey, you know what, here's the deal. We're poor. This is all we can do. Give according to our ability. And it may not have been, I'm sure it was a very small offering. And everyone in their church would have agreed, you know, yeah, you're right, we can't. And and, and the Apostle Paul and the missionaries would have agreed, you guys, you keep it for yourself. You've got nothing to give. Hang on to it yourself. And everybody would have agreed, but nobody would have said, "Do, do something else. But they didn't. This church didn't. And God's grace was working in a very powerful way in them. And Paul was amazed. They found ways... I believe, to surprise themselves as they were enabled by grace to give. Now, for those who limit ourselves, which includes those of us, I remember getting years ago, not in this church, another church, a lady missed a Sunday, and she came up to me, and she said, here's my, she gave me her offering envelope, and here's my tithe. I wasn't able to give it last week, and and I cheated, and I peeked and looked at the number on the outside, and she had whatever, it was something like her her tithe was like $23.57. I mean, down to the penny, she gave that 10%. This is God's, the rest is mine. We're going to talk about that later in the series. Really, how much is God's and how much is mine? If If we limit ourselves, we haven't learned the grace of giving that enables us to go beyond our ability. Limiting yourself... Living by the law is not grace, and it's not freeing, it's binding. God's grace shows me where I could be. And then verse 4, God's grace won't let me be discouraged. Paul says, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. You parents, you ever had your kids beg you for something, you know, that they really wanted really, really bad? Please, please. If you don't, I'm just going to die. Yeah, your parents, your parents ever had your kids do that? Of course you have. Kids are beggars by nature. You know, that's what they, what they do. And they don't, they just won't let up until you, hopefully their whole purpose of doing that is trying to break down your defenses and trying to get you to cave in. The Macedonians, once they heard what the need was in Jerusalem, and they said, we're going to do something about that. And they got this measure of God's grace and riches in their lives. They would not take no for an answer. The apostles saying, you guys, now you don't need to give. You guys are poor yourselves. You're not much better off than they are. They wouldn't take no for an answer. And I believe Paul had attempted to discourage them from participating, but God had other plans for them. He knew, God knew that they themselves were suffering. He knew they were in poverty, but when they could have resisted, they insisted on being part of the offering. We want to be in on this, but we're not going to take no for an answer, Paul, and here's our offering. 
And God's grace will do that to you as well. Won't let you be discouraged. Then verse five, God's grace surprises those around me. Paul said they they shared in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped. Paul is saying, it's like Paul saying to the Macedonians. They're saying, please, okay, okay, okay. You all in Macedonia do whatever you think you can do. You're according to your ability. You do whatever you can do. And, and, and whatever you send, I want you to understand it will be appreciated. Little as much if God is in it, you know. But they took it to another level. And for them, this wasn't just a financial offering. They didn't just open their wallets and their checkbooks. Paul thought, you know, we're looking for a love offering from this church, these, these Macedonians, and we got much more. Paul was looking at what happened here and talking about these Macedonians and said what they did, it amazed me. It surprised me. God will use his grace in your life. If you step up on the ladder of God's grace and say, God, I'm going to depend on you, and God moves you to do this, God will use his grace to surprise you. Not only is grace undeserved, but it's also often unexpected. Now, I wonder how many of you, like me, this happened in my life. Have you, ever, have you ever been blessed by others when you were in a financial need? Some of us have. I can remember coming home from a, a tr- Christmas trip to visit my parents with the kids, and it was in a time in our lives 20-plus years ago when we were financially in a famine. I mean, we were paycheck to paycheck was being generous. We were behind a paycheck pretty much most of the time, behind the eight ball. And I remember pulling up to our mailbox and, and opening the mailbox, and there was an envelope, had no stamp on it. Somebody come and put it in our mailbox. And it was from a, from a church here in the Outer Banks community. And, and not, not church that, in fact, I was part of a church in Virginia Beach at the time. It was about from a group of Christians that said, hey, we know what kind of situation you're in, and we just want to be a blessing. And there was cash in there. And I was humbled by that. And some of you have had that kind of thing. Your, your small group, your connection group has met a need in your life when you needed it, your church, whatever it might be. We've been blessed by others uh, when we have those kinds of needs. And, and that's what God wants to do among us here at Nag said, Not just as we had hoped, Paul said, but surprisingly more. This was for the apostle. If you read and you see his words and you kind of figure out what he's saying, this was a, a wow moment for Paul. Wow all because of grace. And then verse five, it starts with me and not with what's mine. He says, instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord. They gave themselves to the Lord. A little boy was sitting in church one Sunday and as the offering plate was being passed, he was sad because he wanted to participate, but he didn't have, he didn't have a penny to put in for the Lord's work. And so he wanted so much to be able to give as he watched the plate going up and down the, the rows and, and folks putting their, their offerings in. And he was sitting at the end of his row and when, when the offering plate got to him, the usher started to hand him the plate. He looked up at the older man and, and he asked him, would you please put the plate on the floor? Well, the usher silently just kind of Shook his head, furrowed his brow, and like, I can't do that. Just take the plate, son, and pass it on. Please. He, like the Macedonians, he insisted. He begged. Please. Put it on the floor. 
usher, he didn't know what to do. So I said, okay. And he knelt down and he put the offering plate on the floor and the little boy got up out of his seat. And with both feet, he stepped into the offering plate. He said, I don't have any money to give to God, but I want to give him me. That was his offering, himself. Paul says, before they ever gave any money, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Before God wants your gifts, your finances, please hear me. He wants you. Jesus said, you can tell where our heart is by where our treasure is located. He wants you. You are the most valuable offering you can give to him. God does not, please hear me, God doesn't need your money, my money. Think about it. He owns everything, you know. He can get along just fine. I give not because God needs it. I give because I need to give, because it's an act of worship. And when he has you, everything else follows in place and in priority. If you were today to come in this morning and when we receive our offering, drop $100,000 into the bag, but you do not have a daily dependence on God and you haven't surrendered yourself to him as your Lord, please hear me, your money is a cheap substitute. Giving by God's grace starts when first I have given myself to him. And then verse 5 tells us, grace allows me to share myself for God's purposes. Paul says, then they, and they gave themselves first, especially to the Lord, and then to us by God's will. When you're committed to the things of God, you'll find yourself committed to the people of God. Paul and Timothy, who this letter is coming from Paul and Timothy's with him as he writes this. They were missionaries. They were largely dependent financially on the generosity of God's churches to financially and prayerfully support them as they went out into the world to win men and women to Christ and to establish churches. And we here at Nag said Church, we believe in supporting and praying for our missionaries. We're going to have some visitors this summer that are coming in from France uh, and, and from, from Asia. They're coming to visit with us and be with us. It's part of our vision as a church. It's a priority for us financially. So much so that last year, because our giving was down for the year, our elders got together and said, look, we got to make some big cuts in our budget. And let's not spare anything. There are some things that we, we cannot cut, things like our mortgage payment, our insurance uh, payments, you know, the light bills and so forth. We can't control that. We have to make those. But everything else is open to cutting, any other kind of salary, any other kind of ministry, and we cut everything in our budget except our giving to missions. Why? Because of this example. Because Paul said they gave themselves to us, and we believe that's God's will for us, and we can do that only by God's grace. But that comes after first being committed and surrendered as a church to the Lord. Then verse 6, Paul tells us grace works in me to be an example and an encouragement to others. He says, so we urge Titus that just as he had begun so he should also complete this grace in you. Paul has no problem talking to these Corinthian Christians who are prosperous, who live in a, in a place where they're, they're, they've got money, got good jobs, there's a great economy, 
in Corinth. He's got no problems telling them to, I want you to take a look at what God did in the Macedonians up north who've got nothing. Take a look at what they did, what God did in them. Titus is Paul's representative, this man Titus. And he's being sent to Corinth to say to the Corinthian church, okay, now you heard what happened in Macedonia, Corinth. What are you guys going to do? You who have plenty. This story of God's grace and how the Macedonians were enabled to give because of it had to inspire the Corinthians to take part in this offering. They had talked about it a year ago, but they never did anything. They never stepped up on the ladder. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear some stories from some of our Nags Head Church partners about how God has graced them to give and why. And the reason you're going to hear these stories is because we all need encouragement. We all need to know somebody else gets it. And if I can see another believer climbing the ladder of grace step by step, it tells me this. If they can do it, Rick, why not you? Verse 7, it raises, grace does, raises, not lowers God's expectations of me. What a great verse. He says to the Corinthians, now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. You guys are hitting it out of the ballpark. You've got an A plus going. In all these things in your church, I'm so proud of you and what God's done to you because they weren't always like that. As God's worked this and you excel in everything, I want you to excel also in this grace. There was so much positive about what was happening with the Corinthians. They had grown so much since Paul's first letter. You read the first letter and Paul, the whole letter is saying, what is wrong with you people? I wish I could talk to you like spiritual people, but I can't. And he's correcting all their problems. Well, they got it. Once they got the letter, it turned things around for them. And he says to them, now, you're doing so well in so many things. Don't miss this one more thing God wants you to get in on. Excel in the grace of giving. Not because you're wealthy. Not because the economy's good. Not because you're prosperous. Not because you got plenty of money in the bank. Excel in this grace because God wants to use whatever you have to further his kingdom. He wants you to climb this step too. Let me ask you this morning, as we read and we study and we hear these words from Paul to church people, Christians in the city of Corinth, where are you? Where am I? on this ladder of grace. Are you safe on the ground? I like it really where I'm comfortable down here, Lord. I don't want to climb up any higher. Or are you willing to take some risks and climb to new heights and discover what God can do through you if you surrender every part of your life to him? I've asked one of our young couples uh, who are new Christians, Travis and Sarah Ladd, to share their story with us this morning. We baptized this couple, both of them, last year. It was exciting to watch. It's been exciting to see them grow and get involved and participate in ministry. They're just starting out in their family. They got a little guy, Christopher. They're young in their marriage and starting out, and God is teaching them some things at this stage in their lives that I think we should all hear. They're somebody in our church who's climbing the ladder. So, Sarah and Travis, would you welcome them as they come up and share this morning? 
Tithing for me um, is very personal. Um, tithing is a giving of oneself for God's grace. It was very hard for our family just starting, um, making ends meet, and having enough and feeling like we had enough to give. We made very little, and both of us worked very hard. Um, we wanted to give back to God. To show that we are grateful for what he had given us. Um, it is only through growing in our faith that tithing became a very important part of our lives. My family gives back not only by giving our work, our money that we've worked for, but we also love to give our time to the church as well. God has given us abilities both of us, all of us. We should use those abilities, me and Travis have, to give back to the Lord because he saved our lives. So, through our growing, you know, I've gained, learned to trust and love God. And uh, he's uh, shown us his grace in many ways, helping our family. He's provided us with work and strength in a house that we live in now. Um, he took me out of a life that I was comfortable in, where all I had was my music and myself. And I had friends that I thought I could trust in. But God showed me that they were no friends at all, and that were, they were living a selfish life as I was. You know, and as Sarah said, being in a new family is very costly, and making ends neat became a daily worry. And that soon started to weigh on both of us. But um, as we learned to trust God, work became more regular. We were able to save enough money and move out of a studio apartment where we were living and move across the street from our church in a new house, which we both believed God did to reassure us that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing because we felt it was what we were supposed to be doing. And uh, I know the growth has uh, brought us countless blessings and placed us where we needed to be, right across from the church where we could grow with our church family and with our own family. Um, and he also gave me back my music and how I play for the Lord. God also graced us with strength physically and the energy to keep, able, keep working and to pick up extra work to help support the growing family and our church family. He's also strengthened my mind in many ways to help handle stress from being the head of the family. My life before was selfish, and I could not see past my own needs and misguided beliefs. But after trusting God, I realized that he will take care of me and my family if I lead my house by God's word. And uh, together, that is with God, we are a powerhouse team. God has moved in positive waves in our lives, and for this, he will work hard in our faith to give God praise. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.